I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. There's an interesting uh, through line in all three of the readings this morning, which I'm going to be tracing in my reflections. Um, And I think I could start in any point and end up in any other point because they, they, it, it holds together so well. But it's, let's start with the first reading um, just because we heard it first. And it's blessings um, and, uh, uh, and cursing, curses. Blessings and curses. Uh, blessed are those who trust in the Lord. Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals. And so there's a, a contrast between the, this earthly life and eternity. And if your heart is in eternity, then you are blessed. And if your heart is in this life, then you are cursed. If you make mere flesh your strength, if you turn away from the Lord, you are cursed. If if your trust is the Lord or is in the Lord, then you shall be like a tree planted by water. And we hear that metaphor picked up in the psalm. When we... Uh, when we hear Paul reflecting on the crucifixion and resurrection, we hear that great line, and I've carried this with me, um, uh, if, uh, if for this life only we have hoped in Christ, then we are of all people most to be pitied. That, that if being a Christian means you expect that you're going to be rewarded in this life, then you've made a terrible, terrible mistake. And here we have the Beatitudes in the Gospel. Blessed are you who are poor, who are hungry, who weep, who are reviled and cursed. Um, And uh, what's the woe, not cursed, woe to you who are rich, who are full, who are laughing, and when all speak well of you. And so there, there's the line that, that, that all seems to hang together, certainly in my mind. And I'm going to do a little exegetical sidebar, I'm sorry, exegetical um, interpretative um, sidebar uh, on the Beatitudes themselves because they appear in two places. Uh, these are the ones from Luke. There's another set in Matthew. And I will point out, if you want to do a little research, if you read the Matthean version, um, they're softened a little bit, particularly when it comes to being poor. Um, in Matthew, you have, blessed are the poor in spirit, um, as opposed to Luke, where Jesus says, blessed are the poor. And my interpretation is not that he had a sermon on the mountain, a sermon on the plain, and he preached two different sermons that were slightly different each time. I think it was one set of sayings that Matthew placed on the mountain and Luke placed on the plain because they were saying two different points. And I do think if we're looking for the historical Jesus, Luke is probably closer. This is simple, it's punchy, it makes sense, and it is in line with the prophets. It is in line with the scriptures. And Jesus, of all things, was in line with the scriptures. So, not the poor in spirit, the poor. Blessed are you when you are poor, when you are mourning, when you are hungry. And we, you know, this this is where we have to hear the challenge in Jesus' preaching. And that Jesus was controversial, he, and he was controversial for a reason. And so we flip back to that Psalm 1 where, you know, happy are those who walk in the way of the law and they'll be like trees planted by streams of water. They'll be strong and healthy and nourished. And that's, that's what it is when you're, when, you're, when you're rooted in the law. And if you are uh, the way of the wicked, then you will be like chaff that the wind blows away. And this is often in theological circles called the Deuteronomic view. 
Certainly, Deuteronomy has a whole list of blessings and curses that elaborate on this theme. Blessed are you if you follow the law. If you, This law is a gift, and if you follow it, then you will be blessed. You will be prosperous. You will be safe from your enemies. You will, you will have rewards in this life. And if you follow the way of the wicked, you will suffer. You will be overrun by your enemies. You will be poor. You will be miserable. And what Jesus is doing is, is, is really pushing up against that Deuteronomic view. And if we're going to reflect on these principles, I think that we need to look at how those views coexist in our own understanding of our life and our spiritual life in particular. Our, the word blessed, which is, of course, blessings, curses, blesses, woes, is one of the words we're reflecting on today. We use that in English today. Hashtag blessed is a common Twitter hashtag. And what does it mean? It means things are going well in this life. It means I'm blessed. I have food. I have a job. I have money. I have safety. I'm blessed to live in Canada most of the time. And I and blessing clearly refers in common English usage to good things in this life. And as as Christians, as people who believe in God, we, we understand those as blessings. That's our word. They're not just good fortune. They're not just things that we're lucky about or happy about. They are, in fact, blessings. They are gifts from God. And a proper spiritual response to them is the attitude of gratitude. That, you know, I, I'm in my 50s. I have good health. I, I, I'm pretty sure I came through Omicron without a scratch. Um, so I am blessed, and my the, and the the correct response is thanks be to God, not I made it through Omicron by the might of my good health regimen, because I don't have one. Honestly, I'm not exercising as much as I should. So I, these things are gifts. They are gifts of grace. They are blessings, and that's what the blessing means. But when we say that, we we kind of buy into that Deuteronomic view, which is true as far as it goes. But the problem with the Deuteronomic view, that view that, when, that when, when, when you are faithful, things go well, is that there's a limit to that. And also there's that little Jeremiah point that I think is very true, which is that the heart is devious above all else. And so even for those of us who are explicitly Christian and who try sincerely to see our life and interpret our life through the lenses of faith— when we have that Deuteronomic view that blessings come to those who are faithful, um, we end up worshiping not the source of the blessings, but the blessings themselves. We end up evaluating the quality of our life, and even in some circles, the quality of our faith, by our material prosperity. And so you get the abomination of the prosperity gospel at its extreme where if you love God, then God will give you money. And all you need to do is pray a little harder and give a little more money to my ministry, and then God will bless you tenfold. Thanks very much. I'm out of here. Prosperity gospel. But it, it is the Deuteronomic view, but it is the Deuteronomic view without that other corresponding side of the paradox. And that is what I think today's uh, readings push us towards, particularly Jesus himself, when he upends the Deuteronomic paradigm and says, blessed are the poor.
Blessed are the mourning. Blessed are the hungry. And cursed are those who have material blessings. And you have to put yourself in the mindset of a faithful Jew maintaining that Deuteronomic view in the midst of Roman occupation. And so the, the, the Hebrews have attached themselves to this as, as you know, uh, our, our God and God's promises to us and what we need to be is faithful so, they will throw, so God will throw off the oppressor and all that. And then we will finally be free of suffering the way God intended for us to be. And yet here is Jesus actually saying, blessed are you in the midst of your suffering. What? What the heck is he talking about? And certainly when I reflect on that, um, there are a few interpretations of this that I step away from. And one is a, a kind of cheap platitude for people who are in the midst of suffering, which I will never do. I will never visit somebody in a hospital uh, with cancer or in pain or in emotional distress and say, well, God has a plan for you. There's something great in this for you. I will never say that. Not because, you know, I'm just withholding the truth just to be kind, but in fact, because I don't believe that. I don't believe that suffering itself in and of itself is a blessing. And I don't think that's what Jesus meant either. I think that there is something, some quality in suffering and deprivation that allows us to be actually more mindful of the eternal reality, that we are able to be more connected to God and to Jesus and to the Holy Spirit um, when we are deprived than we are able to be connected when we are sated, when we are full, when we are fat, happy, rich, comfortable, um, we, we don't penetrate in our relationships past the comforts themselves to the source of the comforts. And it's the same message of beware when you come into the promised land that you, you, you don't forget the Lord your God who has given you all these blessings. Because that's the deviousness of the heart that, that without, we, without us even realizing it, we have turned the object of our affections from the source of the blessings to the blessings themselves. And so we come to the great sin of idolatry. And here I need to talk a little bit about the word worship. We talk, well, what, what are we doing right now in this pandemic online environment? We are worshiping. And worshiping is not just a liturgical action. It's not just ritual. Uh, worship is worthship. It's what we give worth to. And by carving out this time together to be mindful of God's work in our life and try to listen to what God is saying to us through these gifts of the Holy Scriptures, we are, we are putting our relationship with God as, as a thing of high worth in our life. And of course, the message of today is that it's the highest goal. The, highest, the thing of highest worth must be God, God's self. So that... That worship needs to go to God. And that's a consistent message through all the scriptures because the deviousness of the heart will always put our worship somewhere else, somewhere more immediately gratifying. If, and, and, and so you get all the deadly sins, but the primary sin, of course, is idolatry. It is putting something that is not God at the pinnacle of worship in your life. And so you can go to worship, but still 
see in, in, your, in your heart of hearts be putting your material prosperity as the highest goal in your life. And so what you are actually worshipping is your own prosperity, not the source of that prosperity. And so that, for me, is the key to understanding what Jesus is trying to ferret out here. Because it's not immediately apparent that there is a blessing in deprivation. And yet there is. And, I, and, and when, I, when I search for how to get at what that quality is, which is subtle, um, I think of all the wealthy, comfortable North Americans who have done mission trips to places of amazing poverty that, you know, we, we would, you know, most of us, someone like me who's never been out of Canada, hardly at all, um, has no idea um, the kind of uh, material poverty in which much of the world lives. And yet the reports that come back is they are so much happier than Canadians. What are we doing wrong and what are they doing right? Clearly material prosperity is not the solution. And social scientists have gotten onto this and they've, they've said that, you know, when they try to correlate happiness with prosperity, it, it goes up at the beginning and then it completely flatlines. Once your basic physical needs are met, more prosperity does not translate into more happiness. And so I think that's the, that's the lived experience side of what Jesus is getting at, that when you put your, when you're experiencing happiness and wealth and laughter, the deviousness of the heart causes you to put that, the things that give you that experience, at the center of your value system. And you feel good when you get the results and you feel bad when you don't. And when you are unhappy or deprived or suffering, the instant response is, we need to fix something so I can get back to being happy. Political dissidence is born in a sense that we are suffering and we shouldn't be suffering and we need to force something in order to make it better so we can stop suffering. And that's the natural response. And a Deuteronomic theology by itself cannot counteract that. And so what we need is this other side that always pushes us past the material that says, if for this life only we have hoped in Christ, then we are most of all to be pitied. There is always something in our tradition that pushes us beyond this life and that, that pushes us to, to see our lives through a lens of some larger context, that this journey through life you know, um, in the, the old prayer book, we, we, we take nothing into this life and we take nothing out of it. Um, that, that perspective is the key to navigating this life towards the greater values of what we were here for. And that it ultimately pays off in blessing. It ultimately pays off in joyfulness um, that may, be, may not be on this side of the grave in an immediate way, the way that we would like it to be. And yet that is the perspective of the entire tradition, and that, I think, is what Jesus is pushing us towards. So if we are in a position of suffering, I mean, all of us are suffering to some extent because of the pandemic and, and the situation that we're in, um, the question is not how can we end this as quickly as possible so that we can get back to feeling comfortable. The question is, where is God even in this? And we are more open to that question when we have less to distract us in our own comforts. And so, blessed are us when we are poor, when we are hungry, when we weep, and 
for the current political situation when people hate us, exclude us, and revile us, because that's what they did to the prophets. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.